Well, US stocks are cautious. Well, they're down, really, as the earnings season kicks off. Is it the earnings season or is it the lack of progress on the stimulus again? We've got a big fall in the Aussie dollar with China reportedly snubbing coal from Australia, but China's imports generally are up. And the IMF forecasts things will be bad for a while, but not as bad as they said they were going to be a few months ago. So that's good news, isn't it? But not as good news as it could be. It's Wednesday, the 14th of October 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is back on the rise. It's up half a percent. As you might imagine, that means a, a big fall in the Aussie dollar. It's down uh, three quarters of one percent. The pound down one percent. The euro down 0.6 percent. The US dollar also up 0.2 percent of the Japanese yen. It's not up, though, on the Chinese yuan. Stocks are generally down 0.5 percent for the Dow, 0.6 percent for the S&P 500, although the Nasdaq down a little, but it's managing to stay close to where it was uh, yesterday. And the FTSE and Euro stocks 50 both down more than half a percent. In Europe at close. Quite big falls in bond yields, down five basis points for 10 year treasuries, down three for 10 year gilts, and WTI crude up 2%. Uh, that's all, of course, as we record this. It might have changed by the time you get down to downloading this podcast, but it gives us the general direction. And here's Rodrigo Catrill, senior FX strategist at NAB in Sydney. It's a bit like the uh, the opposite of yesterday, isn't it? But we seem to be getting accustomed to that lately. It's all fairly choppy. Uh, reporting season has kicked off, of course. Um, so stocks, are they feeling the hurt on that? Is it is it that or is it the fact the stimulus is still going nowhere? Uh, or is it uh, just everyone got out of bed the wrong <laughs> side this morning? Um, morning, Phil. I think it's a bit of all of the above, really. Um, um, news over the weekend that the stimulus negotiations have not gone well, uh, essentially confirmed overnight. And we got to remember that, you know, the, although the equity market was open, the, you know, the U.S. was on holiday. And now they're the, the kind of um, mm. coming to terms with this news. And uh, if anything, it just highlights the fact that the negotiations are a, a three-way negotiation. There's the White House trying to negotiate with um, Pelosi and the Democrats, and then there's there's the Republicans in the Senate opposing the big big stimulus that President Trump is is pushing through, um, which is not big enough for 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 the Democrats. So at the moment, it seems that that yeah. stalemate is going nowhere. So it does put a little bit of cautiousness into expectations for stimulus this side of the election. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the reporting season has begun. And although JP Morgan and Citigroup reported better than expected trading revenues and earnings per share, the outlook uh, looks quite concerning. And um, there's also been a little bit of regulatory risk affecting um, um, uh, city, city, city in particular, and also the, the closer look at the reserves that the, the mm. banks have, have released. There's yeah. been some question marks on that. So. And that would explain why banks are feeling the hurt so much today. And of course, we get uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, and uh, United Airlines. Not a bank, they're more an airline. Uh, <laughs> they're all giving their Q3 uh, earnings later on. Uh, look, Apple shares not doing too well either, even though in the last hour or so, they've been announcing the successor to the iPhone 11. It's a new phone, uh, which is surprisingly called, wait for it, the iPhone 12, uh, with the biggest screen ever. Not big enough to hang on your wall, but bigger than the last time. And uh, there's an iPhone 12 mini as well, which has got a smaller screen for people with not much money, but uh, a pretty good eyesight. Uh, the fact that it's going to be cheaper, maybe that's why investors aren't so excited. Smaller margins. Yes, there appears to be a little disappointment in terms of the the, the, the new phone itself. Um, but there's also been news that many of the platforms in uh, in China, like Tencent and so on, 
have not uh, broadcast the release of, of the new phone. So it's mm. probably created a little bit of concern around the, the potential uh, decline in demand from, from China uh, yeah. as well. Well, so. Huawei devices have increased the number shipped more than any other brand over the, the last 12 months, despite the president's protestations. Look, before we move off and look at the, yeah, the share price for Apple down about 4% at one stage today. Before we move off to the United States, uh, let's look at the CPI number for uh, the US. It came in at 1.7%, pretty much as expected. But it's also not expected to go any higher than that in a hurry, isn't it? Uh, no, if anything, there's, uh, there's an interesting sort of dynamic going on there that it, um, the, the, the push, in, if you like, in terms of uh, the inflation drivers there uh, are very much that supply shock story. And, you know, you have mm. the cars in particular used and new cars as well facing a, a huge increase in prices. Um, but when you look at sort of the the, the underlying sort of demand-driven inflation, that, that's not there. And of course, it's reflective of, of the, the weakness in the labor market and uncertainty in, in terms of the outlook for the recovery in the economy as well. Now, it reports that China has told its state-owned enterprises to stop buying Australian coal, you know, to add it to the list of barley, beef and wine. Do we know if that is actually the case? Because obviously $55 billion in coal is a chunk of our exports to China, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's quite right. So, I mean, there's enough smoke here to, to create a concern. And uh, yesterday we, we had the, the Australian government seeking an explanation in terms of what's going on here. Um, so there's certainly uh, evidence or enough evidence by commentaries, by analysts and by importers that uh, remain unnamed, if you like, in, in China saying that that is certainly true. Um, so that that is the one kind of part of the story. The other one is that we gotta remember that importers in China have quota limits, and in many respects, uh, analyst view is that those limits have come to to you know to be topped up. Um, so in terms of um, the reality that there's there's so much there's a limit to how much coal we can sell to China is it, also a factor there. Um, what what the, the the interesting dynamic of that is that typically metallurgical coal was not part of the story. This used to be about, all about thermal coal, um, and there's a bit of concern about you know this the expansion, if you like, of the coal input limitations extending beyond uh, met, uh, and into metall- metallurgical coal. So that that's kind of a big deal because of course Australia dominates that part. Of the trade so um, it, it remains to be seen whether it is, it is just um, a, a quota issue but certainly there's enough smoke there to suggest there's a political line going on here as well which uh, it needs to be watched closely because obviously it will, will have an impact in terms of uh, uh, the Aussie dollar and, and obviously the prospects for, for the commodity exports in Australia as well. Yeah well, well is this what's hurt the Aussie dollar? I mean obviously part of the Aussie dollar story today is the, is, is the strength in the, in the US dollar but I mean, the fact is down so much. Is that is that because of this story? Because you would have thought we also had China's trade numbers uh, yesterday as well, and their exports were up almost ten percent for September, which I think was pretty much what was expected. But the imports, which were, were much higher, which would sort of indicate that having a good, strong domestic recovery there, which you would have thought would be very good news for Australia. Yeah, so that, that's quite right. So if you look at the price action of the Aussie dollar in the past 24 hours, there's, if you like, two distinctive move lower. Um, yesterday around uh, just before 11, we saw that the Aussie got lower. Um, which was a reflection of those news coming from from the coal story, as well as a, a big sharp move or decline, if you like, in in the CNY as well, which played a bit of a role there too. Um, um, and then the second part is it's been the decline uh, overnight, which has been largely a reflection of you know weakness of. Uh, uh, 
of any risk sensitive currencies because of the weakness that we've seen in the equity market, which is reflecting a broad uh, rise in the dollar. So, so certainly a combination of both. Now, not surprising the pound is down because other than the US story, uh, we've got Brexit going nowhere, but maybe that's not a surprise. They had the unemployment numbers out last night, though. They were pretty bad, weren't they? 153,000 fewer jobs in July. The unemployment rate is up to 4.5%. Uh, for the three months to August, a 15% drop in hours work compared with the, the start of the year. So whichever way you look at it, that's not good news for the UK. Uh, yeah, and uh, making that reference of the tunnel, there's no light in the tunnel at the moment. Um, Barnier has made that point that uh, there hasn't been enough in terms of the discussions to, to suggest that we enter in the final stage, which is the tunnel reference in terms of the negotiations. Um, we, we think this is all part of, you know, the, the brinkmanship, if you like, that comes with, with the, the negotiations. So it's, it's, normal and history tells us that we should expect some volatility in the currency as, as uh, this story evolves. Um, but there's certainly enough appetite there from both sides still to, to negotiate. And, and if anything, we, uh, if you like to confirm this, uh, we know that uh, the talks will continue tomorrow. So hopefully we will we'll see some progress uh, by the end of the week. Those numbers are rising in the UK still, aren't they? The uh, COVID numbers, Keir Starmer. The opposition leader there gave a press conference a few hours ago calling for a full two to three week lockdown for everyone, even Dominic Cummings this time. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. Look, uh, this would be here's a, this is just as an aside. This would be an interesting story normally. We might even have led with it normally. The fact that the World Trade Organization, just as last October, they said the UK could impose tariffs on the EU for their subsidies of Airbus. Today, they've gone and said, well, Europe can impose tariffs on, on Boeing because uh, it's received subsidies. But it seems like a bit of a nonsense at times like this, doesn't it? Because, I mean, subsidies are the only way companies are going to see their way through this crisis. Well, yeah, in particular, when you look at, at these sort of airline makers or, or airplane makers, there's certainly always been an incentive by governments to support yeah. those companies. So from a military perspective and so on. So uh, the fact that Airbus has support from Europe and Boeing has support from the US shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. But um, I suppose the debate is that how much support they should be getting. And, and obviously, uh, the rules have been broken from both sides. And now both have the ability to impose tariffs on each other. I, I think the interesting thing about all of this is that the Bloomberg story has reported that uh, the US European Union is is going to be waiting uh, to see when to apply the tariffs and and in fact they want to see uh, the election outcome be, mm. before they go ahead with it. Yeah, so that would make so uh, good sensible adult discussion after the election. That would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Look, uh, despite the rising COVID nineteen cases, the IMF has revised its forecasts. It says the global economy is going to fall by four point four percent this year. They had predicted four point nine percent in June. Uh, they have got one caveat that they might be completely wrong on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They've also warned that the coronavirus is far from over. Yeah, uh, and they, uh, but they, despite that, they still expect five point two percent growth next year. Does it really matter uh, what the uh, IMF is thinking, what their forecasts are at this stage? Well, I suppose it just reflects the, the uncertainty that uh, all economists and, and central banks uh, that are trying to make projections for, for next year is that as much as while the base case is for a broad recovery, which should somehow incorporate, you know, the, the broad distribution of vaccines in sometime in 2021, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around that. Um, and um, um, and if anything, you know, we heard those news over the, overnight by, or yesterday by Johnson & Johnson is facing some issues with the trial of his vaccine and then this morning Eli Lilly is also the antibody one uh, 
trial has been paused again. So, mm. so there's there's a lot of uncertainty around that. So to be fair, yeah. uh, the IMF is not alone in terms of, of of that degree of not knowing. No, we don't know what we don't know, do we? Uh, look, we get the industrial production numbers for Europe today. Plus, we get the ECB's Philip Lane. He's going to be talking again. He he of course spoke at the weekend and said that the ECB would wait and see how governments responded to the rising COVID cases that have got in Europe now before looking at any more uh, stimulus from the bank. Uh, and we have uh, the zoo survey was out last night as well, and that showed that enthusiasm is starting to wane even in Germany. Yeah, and if anything, that, that may be a reflection of the increase in virus infections, which if you think of Germany numbers, not as bad as the ones in France and in, in, uh, the UK or in Spain, is still a concern. Uh, and if anything, I think the takeaway there, and very much along the lines of your comments on the UK, is that the bar to imposing big lockdowns is, is pretty high, uh, but it all will come down to the ability of the healthcare service to cope with increasing in, in you know hospitalization so that's the big the big test that we have to see and and the same story applies for the US in that for that matter so as long as you can, the the health service can cope then you know we will remain relatively open but if the crisis expands to the point that uh, hospitals cannot cope then then we should expect big lockdowns to to follow and we and we, look we also get the, the final uh, J- Japan and the euro area industrial production numbers for August as well and later on we get uh, the MBA mortgage applications along with the September PPI data out in the United States. So a few numbers around, but we'll leave it there for now. Great to talk. Catch you again very soon, Great. Rodrigo. Cheers, Phil. And I'll be back tomorrow. David DeGaris joining me from NAB in London tomorrow. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you tomorrow morning.